Hey y'all, you're tuned in for another episode of Getting to the Root of It with Venus Roots, aka me, your host. Today's guests are folks from a collective based in New York City, a collective of artists, organizers, cultural workers who've been leading organizing efforts on decarceral campaigns, contradictions between artists and museums and policing and tons of other work. I am super deeply inspired by them. I'm very grateful that they're here today. Thank you for joining the show. Today's guest is Decolonize This Place. Hi, thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here and kind of dive into all of this. Yeah, so let's get right into the juicy stuff. So Decolonize This Place, I think y'all have garnered a lot of attention, both from media, from organizers, from artists, but what are, like, let's backtrack a little bit. What are sort of the origins how did y'all get started? Well, Decolonize This Place, uh, the name itself, first came in uh, May Day 2016. So actually almost uh, four years ago, um, this May Day. Um, and it came from a show, it came from an action against a show at the Brooklyn Museum called This Place, which was a, a six, uh, $6 million show put on at the museum that supposedly documented the conflict, uh, the conflict in quotes, <laughs> um, happening in Palestine, Israel. Um, they hired 12 or 13 of the world's top fine art photographers to create beautiful large format images of landscapes, um, primarily to put in the show that started in Tel Aviv and then traveled around the world. Um, of course, when you go into the show again, it's undeniably beautiful because it's Palestine, right? That's where the landscapes are coming from. It's really hard to disagree with the landscape with a you know, 20 foot landscape photograph. Um, and in that way, you wonder where exactly is this conflict that they're supposedly showing? And if they are showing a conflict from whose perspective are they showing it? And what exactly does this show, who exactly does this show service at the end of the day and for what purposes? has the show been put on? Um, not to mention the fact that Ann Pasternak over at the Brooklyn Museum, um, as well as the Brooklyn Museum, totally uh, went past all BDS measures to put on this show, right? So the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement over in Palestine, um, you know, not funding anything uh, coming out of Israel, Israel, specifically anything that's going to erase the idea of the occupation or the very real material conditions of the occupation. Um, and they did, and they skirted it through BDS by uh, taking private funding to fund the show. So that's just some of what was happening with that. So we decided to go in there um, and kind of reclaim space, um, specifically around uh, geographic namings that were happening in the space, um, using the settler naming as opposed to uh, the original uh, Palestinian Arabic names um, going through the space, um, making connections between the occupation of the land that we're currently on here in Brooklyn, uh, uh, the land of Lenny Lenape, um, to the occupation of, of Palestine itself. Um, so from Brooklyn to Palestine, occupation is a crime. And then simultaneously, we were also making a little bit of noise in the show next door, which was one one would think you know was okay because it was a protest art show but it was all fucked up i don't know if you I, well yeah it was fucked up um 
because it had because the Brooklyn Museum had just hosted the 2016 real estate summit, right? Because the director of the museum is this character, David Berliner, who's a real estate tycoon here in Brooklyn. And yet that show had protest art of an anti-gentrification group in Brooklyn protesting that shit. So how are you going to have the art on the wall and still do the same shit? And then say you're pro-Palestine, but then skirt BDS and have this show. So decolonize this place is kind of where that name came from. And from there, we we moved to, uh, uh, in the fall, we had a three-month residency at Artist Space uh, in Manhattan, where it was a movement, uh, action-oriented movement space, centered around five demand, uh, five strands, which have since grown to six strands, but starting with indigenous uh, sovereignty and struggles, thinking of the land that we're on, and who, if we're gonna hold folks in Israel and Palestine accountable, then how do we look at ourselves, right? Um, so thinking of the move from the Brooklyn Museum to artist space, black liberation, right? Thinking of the ways in which capital was even accumulated on this land so that we can even be anti-capitalist to begin with. Um, thinking of the way that this land uh, try kind of uses indigenous and black folks, um, both through erasure and also through, it, it, very contradictory through erasure, but also through um, making things quite visible, right? Building this land that way. Of course, free Palestine always um, as the third strand. Um, Anti-gentrification. So like uh, thinking through the ways in which, uh, you know, all the boroughs in New York City have, you know, Bronx not for sale, Queens not for sale, all the, everywhere is not for sale. But how do we like do that together? So thinking of New York City not for sale and then uh, the global wage worker right, thinking of debt, um, the ways in which that, that uh, credit and debt are used to control certain populations around the world, whether you're a migrant worker uh, building NYU Abu Dhabi, uh, or you're, you know, you're a museum worker <laughs> right here in the city, not getting paid shit, but then going home to your gentrified ass building where rent just went up $200, you know? Uh, and then, you know, most recently, very importantly, the sixth strand is dismantling patriarchy, um, which we know is an all day, every day thing, um, which I think is why we didn't say it at first, because dismantling patriarchy should come with indigenous sovereignty. Dismantling patriarchy should come with black liberation. It should come with these things. Um, but then after a while, you're like, no, nah, you got to say that shit out loud. <laughs> Just I just articulate it. Be real clear, just in case anyone's confused. Yeah, because some some people they just, you know, my dad would say, "Bless their heart." <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like the origins of kind of like where we, where we're at, and uh, just to kind of clarify, DTP uh, is facilitated by MPL Plus Collective, which is just like about 10, 10 of us, but uh, we work with and. Um, have, and the work has been uplifted by and created alongside uh, a bunch of other amazing crews in, in and around and outside of the city um, from groups like Take Back the Bronx, uh, Comite Bariqua, uh, and many, many more 
So we just want to shout out, you know, all the people who throw in a lot of work into this, you know, shout out to Indigenous Kinship Collective. They're fucking crazy. I love those girls, you know, like shout out to all the crazies that somehow we work with. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what a, what an intro. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm super appreciative of just like naming those principles and actually being, being very articulate about like, this is actually what we're about. Um, Cause like you said, sometimes people just like to be forgetting or pretend that they don't know. So that's great. Um, I think to sort of now bring us a little bit back to 2020, 2019, what's happened in the last year or so. Um, I think for me, it's very clear that now in this sort of crisis moment, although we've known that there's been an ongoing crisis, um, a lot of folks are having a realization of like very fundamental, fundamental like system, systemic stuff not working out. And they're also realizing things like, oh, wow, maybe the internet is not this like public domain that's democratic and that's safe and, you know, gives us all a shot to just express ourselves. And I mean, my orientation to decolonize this place is primarily like through social media because I'm based in Miami. Um, I'm curious kind of like what y'all's experience have, have been, not just in this moment where I think there's like increased shadow banning, but just like organizing digitally, like activating folks through a medium that's still like controlled by fascists. Yeah, um, I think I'll, I'll start. And then Amin definitely has um, some good insights to add, um, but, you know, exactly as you say, like the people who own these things, man, I saw the CEO of Instagram on somebody's Instagram live the other day. You know what I'm saying? Like some random ass white man. Like we know who's behind. I saw the CEO of TikTok recently, CEO of Twitter. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's be real when we look at these guys, right? And it's kind of crazy because they're infiltrating our communities like crazy, making people think that they have actual like control and power on social media when we know that's not the case like but that's a whole other story what right now if y'all y'all know quarantines you're watching Tory Lane's Instagram live quarantine radio and he had you know and then the, the CEO of Instagram comes on and starts saying oh well there's just some content we have to block okay some content just say black bodies like say black body like say black body it's okay say black bodies that, say that that's what you have to look. The the CEO of TikTok coming on, you know, oh, we, you know, we, we never meant to block Lizzo's uh, bathing suit pictures. Just say you don't like fat black women. Say that, you, say that. It's okay, I'm a fat black woman. Say it. And so that's, that's, what, that's what the mass culture knows of, right? Now, insert, if you think that's what, then insert political organizing into that domain into that landscape they're not even allowing black bodies on social media nonetheless black bodies demanding liberation right so it's like you know specifically like it started with stuff around palestine um which i think amin can definitely talk to um with the, you know the first time that they kind of like flagged someone flagged one of our posts and then we get it on the other end that it's been taken down and then you have an option to report it or whatever, or, you know, like I need an actual human being to see whether or not my photo went against community guidelines, which our posts never do. 
So then they, we do the whole, you know, dance, the one, two step, you know, where it's like, take down a photo, put it back up, take down. Now, when you take down a photo that's going viral, it fucks up the algorithm. So the photo ain't going to go viral no more. So fast forward to F- FTP, for example, we'll post something um, of, of a police officer um, assaulting someone or being brutal with someone or some form of police brutality or police violence. Someone would flag it. They'd take it down. By the time you put it back up, it's not even appearing on people's feeds anymore. You see, so they're actually stopping the education of people on social media. Then it got to the point with us where we would say, can you review this? And they wouldn't even review it anymore. They'd say, no. We started getting the, the messages that your account is, uh, is, is um, in threat of being taken down any day. Right. So then we had to kind of like reassess, like, where are we going to go from here? Um, but but yeah, I mean, what what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, as you said, we can just focus on 2019 and we began to have problems with social media. I mean, as Mars says all the time, like we, we have no illusion about what social media is. Like the way we structure our work is that it's all a feedback loop. We use social media, but that's not how we organize. Our organizing is on the ground, in person, in physical space. When we take space or hold space, we, we try to seek transformative, pedagogical, really kind of um, level blows at capital or, or challenge institutions, but we measure how we win in different ways, right? Um, so then, but with it started with the Whitney for me, or that's when I kind of really took, um, took took stock of the situation because we were going after Safari land and Warren Canders and he owns, you know, he, he supplies the NYPD with all, with all sorts of stuff. The tear gas that was used in Ferguson, Baltimore, Egypt, all these places. And then they were taking down our posts, but we would look at their Instagram and we like, I mean, white women with like all sorts of like rifles and like, just like on like trucks going and like, you know, doing crazy stuff. Be like, how is that okay? And all, all what we're saying. I mean, we, you know what I mean. So it was like, it was really weird. And they, and they were just keep telling us that we're violating um, community guidelines, and we didn't understand what. I think at some point Mars may, you know, we have may have written stuff of like, you know, white people, and they're like, that's racist. We were just like, because we, we, you know, we, we studied the guidelines. I mean, Mars we studied the guidelines. Like we looked. Like what are they talking about? So there's a sense of like the com- the community guidelines function in a in a white supremacist world. So if you don't kind of process that in the way you kind you're 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 going to be shut down real quick. So we had to modify, I think, how we did stuff. But at the same time, we always kept putting them on blast, and so we would make posts. They made more work for us because then we would make posts about them, <laughs> you know, to let other people know. But that was our only defense, really, was offense. And I think that, you know, with FTP, you know, the fuck the police movement, like, that was a whole other thing. Like, mentioning a cop being a pig, that was a violation of community guidelines. That, that gets them mad. They, they, they love their cops. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're like, they just, beat, they just beat someone, you know, they just beat someone over $2, and they're like, you're selling shit. 
on Instagram. And that's not allowed. Amin made a meme that just said, uh, pigs will taser you for 275. And they took that as us selling either a pig or a fucking taser. I don't know which one for $2.75. And we were, we were like, the fuck? Like, we were like, are you really, like, are you tripping right now? You know what I'm like? It was just like, wow, they're really, but it's like, of course, you know what I'm saying? Like, Instagram's owned by Facebook's bitch at, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's like, we're not. There's no exactly what it means. There, we're, there's no illusion here. Like we understand how this stuff works, and we're just trying to. We're just hoping other people understand how this stuff works too. Because some people think that what that organizing on social media is an end in and of itself, and it's not. You have to go beyond that. You'll never get where you want to get by organizing on social or any media. You could be on fucking Signal, Signal. You know, uh, encrypted. Guess what? WhatsApp was encrypted. That shit's owned by Facebook. So encrypt what? What are you encrypting and who's encrypting it? You know, so you just have to, you just have to be careful. Even on your personal pick, man, they'll do, they'll go after anything. Yeah. So let's let y'all just dropped, y'all just dropped some, some facts. So let's, let's go back a little bit. For folk that might be listening and are just like, okay, yes, and I actually might not be totally familiar with y'all's actions. Let's let's go back to um, Whitney Museum. Talked a little bit about Safari Land. What went down there? Uh, walk me through a little bit of that, real quick. So uh, last, actually, November uh, twenty eighteen, um, Trump uh, tear gassed the migrant caravan migrant caravan, right, coming um, across the U.S.-Mexico border over in Tijuana. Um, images went viral uh, from, from that situation. And, and a lot of those images contain the uh, pictures of the tear gas canisters themselves. Now, when that tear gas canister was seen, you had people in Ferguson, Standing Rock, Egypt, Palestine, the whole, at Puerto Rico, like, what the fuck? That's the same tear gas that they use on us and it's kind of like oh so who owns this tear gas company who owns this warren candace okay who the hell is that uh vice chairman at the whitney museum what you know what i'm saying what and so which was wild because at the time they had the andy warhol show up and warren candace is an avid collector of andy warhol pieces and Andy Warhol in his in his later like in the 60s making those race riot pieces about state violence how the hell are you going to collect art about state violence and also inflict state violence so these are the contra these are the liberal the neoliberal contradictions that come to the surface when you start digging through this so we we made a ruckus you know what i'm saying we lit a couple of bundles of sage on fire in the museum lobby um because we were thinking through, we were with Rick from the American Indian Community House and, um, and he wanted to put this in context of good medicine versus bad medicine. And it was really messed up because Whitney Museum had been, um, had actually been in conversation with the American Indian Community House at the time. Um, so they were kind of just like, wow, like how, how could you do this to a people? 
will you will the Whitney Museum engage in good medicine or will it engage in bad medicine? And if it chooses good medicine, it needs to remove Warren Candors. And of course that didn't happen. So March 22nd, 2019, we started a nine week, uh, uh, nine weeks of art in action um, against the museum. Starting with week one, we did, we focused on tear gas and state violence all the way up into week nine, where we finally got to uh, an idea of decolonization and what that might look like. Importantly, the museum was never the end for us. It was just a starting point. You find little crises popping up around because you know late stage capitalism loves crises. All you gotta do is just like find them, you know, throw a pebble and wherever it hits. And then it's like from there we were able to broaden the conversation, um, including f different struggles around the world and around the U.S., like Puerto Rico, Palestine, things like that. Simply because the tear gas is also used on them, but it gave us a way to take space back and to recenter our struggle, our liberation struggles um, in the process. And then the same day that the governor of Puerto Rico, Roseo, uh, resigned, so did Warren Candors, which I think was fucking telling, considering the fact that the governor, the late governor of Puerto Rico was tear gassing Puerto Ricans with Warren Candors tear gas that whole summer. So. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm Puerto Rican, so, and a lot of my comrades here, it's like, that's, that's such a, that's such a painful link that also brings us together where, you know, I have a lot of comrades that are part of Dream Defenders down here who were like, yeah, I mean, my solidarity with Palestinians was just first started when I realized exactly th that. When we were on Twitter communicating you know, this is how you uh, help yourself when you get tear gassed, you know, this is some tips and tricks. And it's like, oh shit, y'all know. It's like, yeah, of course we know. And it's like, you know, exactly to your point, like, yeah, not only do we know, they're using the same exact tactics against us. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, you know, I think y'all did such a, a good and important and clear and effective job during those nine weeks. Cause I, I, I mean, I remember people you know, and just com casual conversation who were just seeing the action from very far, I mean, from, you know, Miami and being like, yo, I did not know. Like, I didn't know that that was legal. Like, I didn't know that. And I'm like, fam, you ain't got to look to New York. We can look to Miami, you know? And and that brings me to my sort of next point. I mean, y'all are organizers, cultural workers, artists, like what, you know, and off the call, we were sort of talking about, you know, a lot of us have sort of heard or believed that if you're an artist or, or creative of color, black creative, indigenous, queer, whatever it might be, um, that that's it. Like you, you paid your dues, you're good to go. And that sort of the path to success is, you know, getting in the Whitney, getting these curators to pay attention to you. Um, and I think a lot of us are realizing that there's certain non-negotiable contradictions. So can y'all talk to me a little bit about just y'all's own learning about the artist's role, how artists are being commodified in this moment into really compromising sort of, you know, dynamics like this. Like Safari Land is not just a little casual right wing, like, oh, they're kind of assholes. I mean, this is state violence at a global level. And that's just one example. I mean, we can really just pull out the whole power map of the museum infrastructure or the charity infrastructure and, and and the patterns are very similar. So 
Yeah, walk me a little bit through that, like y'all's own thinking around artists, Where, what role do they play? Yeah, no, just to add to that, I mean, I think the Whitney was really, ins like the Whitney was a really important um, example for us because think about the biennial before the one, the last one, right? You had, um, you had open casket, that, that painting that was just like, you know, um, you know, a white woman painting, uh, you know, a black child who was, who was murdered, you know, and that, that, that painting made it into the Whitney Biennial. And it made it into the Whitney Biennial in an abstract form with no context for it, right? And it's just like, okay, so on that level, you can look and you're just like, well, that's fucked up. And the response, you know, and there were, and there were, you know, curators of color. So that's, it's like the identity of people don't resolve their politics. It's just, that's, that's the moment we're at. And people need to recognize like my oppressor, the people that are most effective at oppressing me, as Fanon said, are the, those who subcontract with colonialism and they look like you, right? Um, so, so, and we sometimes talk about the rats on the ship. And I think like now at the same time, you're not gonna pass judgment on people, but no one gets a pass anymore. So here comes the Whitney Biennial in 2019 and what do they do? This is the most radical biennial ever because it's indigenous and queer and trans and black and brown and you know what I mean? And under 40 and it's like, oh my God, it's amazing. All right, so here's this representational level, but then who's in control? Who has power? Who's determining who's in this and who's out? And when you're in it, what are you part of? You're still part of an art system, not an art world, not an art community, not an art family. And that art system is capitalist at its core. And all it does is instrumentalize art and artists for a wider purpose. So we don't, we don't need to be delusional about what art is. You want to make art, you don't need to have it in the museum. That art could be accountable to your community, could be accountable to freedom. Are you making art that helps us be free? Right. But no, what, we, what, what we're encouraged to do is make art that white people can look at. Make art, make art that people can buy in a, as a commodity and then put it on their walls so Warren Canders can enjoy it. You know, Or even Jay-Z. Right. Because like these modes of like functioning, like they're not right. We can't we can't. Now, no one's going to like your enemy isn't going to be Jay-Z. Your enemy isn't going to be Alexandra Bell. Your enemy isn't going to be these artists that choose to buy into that. We're not going to pass judgment on these people, but we're not going to not take issue with the Whitney. <laughs> right. And I think that what that did was that it created a big schism and a moment of clarity that. Artists can't just keep spewing out radical politics, but actually not live it, you know? And, and it was hard for us to do, and I think that it was hard and it took so much labor. I mean, Mars, you should, how were we managing the social media at that time? How were we navigating all this? Because artists at that time that we took on the Whitney, we had a, we had a town hall and we invited everyone because we wanted to hear, because we wanted to say, you know what? You don't have to boycott. You don't have to withdraw. We don't have the same positions, but you can be in solidarity. You can say, you know what? I'm showing in the Whitney because that's something I need to do, but I don't need to actually protect or condone or do the labor of protecting the Whitney <laughs> in the process. We said there's a diversity of tactics and strategies, but, but people took 
people felt threatened. Yeah, I mean, there's so much, there's so much truth in what y'all are offering. And I mean, I've seen that exact dynamic even play out in, you know, in our local artist community. Cause I mean, like we were talking about earlier, it's, you know, folks will take it personal and folks will sort of align themselves with the institution that's giving them worth or a sense of value, you know, still in, in the sense of the market, you know, and, and they will protect that institution. You know, I mean, I've seen it play out so many times and with folks that are like, fam, this is a good opportunity for you. Like you really need to stop like, you know, saying all this shit about the museum. And it's like, fam, it's, why are you protecting the museum so much? Like, it, you know, and, and to your point, I mean, just something you offered really reminded me of something that a comrade of mine, Palestinian comrade here, um, we always talk about this. And she's like, folks need to be asking themselves more often and more honestly, is your art for the people or for the market? And that, and that framework has been even so helpful for me. And it's, it's, it's very real. It's like, are you doing this for a brand and just so that you can move up a ladder and get certain classification? Or is this just, you know, part of your work? And I've been in spaces with artists where I have had multiple people in the room be like, art is always for freedom. And I'm like, that's just ain't true. That's ahistorical, fam. <laughs> like, like, I wish, you know? And, and it was a back and forth where I, I was like, that's not true. People do art for profit's sake, for the market, for all types of stuff. And that person was like, nah, then it's not art. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, we can get into the back and forth of semantics, but I think y'all lift up such a little important nuance that some folks are starting to grapple with, um, but there's such major, major, major implications of that, you know? And I think like the, we're moving into the stage of like commodification of like leftism and radical ideas where now you can go to Teen Vogue you know, I've seen y'all be covered in Team Vogue. Now Team Vogue is like getting writers who are organizers. And yeah, I mean, it's great on one end. I'm like, I'm glad people are reading this. But then at the same time, we got to ask ourselves like, hmm, what does it mean that all these major institutions, cultural institutions are now very interested in us talking about strikes and Palestine and black liberty? Like, what is their, per like, what is the intent that they would have? And what is the benefit that they would gain in those ideals. Like, you know, it's, sometimes it, it doesn't feel good to ask the questions because you're just like, damn, I'm glad my people are on Team Vogue, word, and just want to move forward. You know, I, I mean, I, I feel like y'all have done such contributions in like lifting up those blatant and implicit contradictions around like, you either gonna live it, and yes, we all gotta, you know, pay rent and do the basics, but there are choices and there's certain agency that we have as individuals, as artists, as creatives, as workers. So, I mean, y'all, y'all have really like hit it on the nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that it's, um, I mean, workers who are contracted usually who are in very like precarious positions. Like I totally get that argument. I think Amin can speak a lot to this too um, as an adjunct professor who has to play the the that role of like hopping from school to school trying to just get rent paid and my um but you know like as an artist it's and just as a human being as a student as a professor as a teacher like all these things it's important to note that there is no outside of the system like there is no like i'm like i'm not on some holy mountain looking down upon the land being like 
if you're not on this holy mountain with me, you are against me, right? There is no, I, you know, I both went to school at, still go to school at, and teach at NYU, New York University, which is like one of the top three landlords in New York City, displacing a shit ton of people, building new uh, branches of its university in places like Abu Dhabi with migrant labor, supporting our mark in the prison industrial complex. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I think that there, when you, you realize your place within the thing, and then you make, and then you make decisions. Uh, you make decisions, but at the same time, it's like you have to, I, I believe that you have to privilege your politics and all of it. You can't like, and it's a fine balance because you got to put food on the table, but at the same time, uh, hello, this dude's tear gassing people in your community, not just tear gas, but he also manufactures rubber bullets that they're shooting into your community. So what the hell are you going to do about it? I, it's like, yeah, I'm an artist. Am I ever going to probably get a show? No, probably not. Because <laughs> people hate me, PP. <laughs> um, which is, which I'm fine with. It's like, find another, if you, it's like, oh, so you became, it's like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's like you became an artist and then you just want to buy into the capitalist machine that the art world is. And that's okay, but you're a black artist and you make art about black stuff, so that's cool. It's not. It's really, you know, it's just, there's some there's some latent contradictions in there. Um, but Amin, I think, um, also has some good insight into this. I mean, one thing, one thing I, yeah, I mean, I think, see, here's the thing about pedagogy and learning about your own condition and what solidarity looks like and the political choices that you make that aren't, they seem to be against your interests, but in fact, if you have an analysis, it's the only thing logical for you to do. And I think that the reason why, this is like, it's a hard point to make, but I think like you always, good organizers read a landscape and recognize that everything's on the table in terms of how you resist, but then you have to resist and build. So good movements have both negation and affirmation, and they try to build power, and they try to look at each other horizontally and deal with the problems now. It's not after you win. And it's a long journey. So once you start thinking like that, then one of the things that you, we're trying to do, and it's a priority, is how do we communicate with you in Miami, even though we don't know you personally, but we know you exist out there. And we know there's other people that exist that are important, that are more important. We don't have to win New York. What we have to do is, is just kind of the resonances, right? And these communications that happen, that change the energy, that allow things to come. So when you see something like Teen Vogue, what you need to recognize is that, okay, we're moving, we're making strides, that's not who we are, that's not where we want to end up, right? But it means it should be a point, it should, it should indicate that movements need to keep moving, so what's your next move? And I think like for me, I'll be honest, like coronavirus has been um, a disappointment <clears throat> in terms of how people reacted to it. because. You know, I'm older, and so I knew in 2012 we saw Hurricane, um, sorry, um, yeah, Hurricane Sandy. And, you know, mutual aid and the conversation around mutual aid is not charity happened then. 
But what we realized is when people in emergencies come together, they have all sorts of politics. So most of it was charity. And so when the, th when it, the, the crisis never disappeared, it's just people went back to work. And so here we are right now, and it's like everyone, we haven't done, we've been thinking, we've been brewing, because we want to take every move that we make, we want it to be strategic, we want it to communicate with others. We know we can't change the world, but what is gonna be our example of another thing that isn't happening that probably should be happening? And I think that people, you know, you, you said something really, really important, which is like people are not asking themselves the hard questions. Well, here's the hard questions. Biden doesn't exist, he's not alive, he's not real. So the likelihood that Trump will be for another four years is almost certain. Why aren't you? Now, those same people were bitching four years ago about Trump coming. And the only problem with Trump is aesthetic. I mean, you look compared to Biden, right? We're not even in electoral politics, but you have to look at the spectrum. So all of a sudden, you don't have any out on electoral politics. The coronavirus hit. 40% of those who are dying in New York are actually black, right? And then the other 30% are, are, you know, Latinx. Like, we're in that milieu. So who's dying? It's like not only of their color, but, of color, but they're poor. Those are going to be let die. That's the mission, right? So that's they're going to let them die. They call them essential, but they're going to let them die. And now you have, so four years ago, we were fighting about those who were coming from south of the border, and now they're using this crisis to shut down immigration completely. What's gonna happen in a month or two? They just had $3 trillion worth of bailouts. Who got those? None of us, but in our name. So now, and then you have in Virginia Capitol, people carrying assault rifles protesting. And on social distancing, you have Hasidics that are allowed to have schools and, and be in the street and violate social distancing rules, but up in the Bronx, right? They're beating people and arresting them in the name of social distancing. So nothing has changed, but what is the difference? The difference is that they're killing us. So for everyone that's trying to be radical and everyone that's trying to be like, I'm organizing, I'm doing mutual aid, I'm doing this, get the fuck out of here. It's time for a fucking insurrection. Art and aesthetics have a role. You, you talk about museums. What's going to happen with museums? They just fired all the workers. So everyone that's been talking diversity, you know where they are? Fired. Equity, fired. So, so how, are these how are these museums going to exist in three or six months? They're all going to have Warren Canders. They're all going to have, it's oligarchies that are going to be on that board. And who are they, and, and what is their money going to determine? Aesthetics, what you make as an artist, which asses you kiss. So that's real talk, right? Mm -hmm. That's real talk, and I'm and I'm glad you and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I have, and you know, sometimes it's it's hard to be the pessimist, but it's the realist, and it's sometimes it's hard to have a sober assessment of our conditions and of the moment. And I'm I'm really appreciative that you just really laid that out because that's extremely right and extremely clear, you know. And I have to say the same thing. I'm I'm younger. I'm 25, and you know I was hearing when this when this shit was really first popping off. Every leftist I was talking to was like, "This is our moment. This is now. It's time, baby." 
This is when it's really going to pop and we're going to seize the, the moment. We're going to seize the opportunities. And unfortunately, you know, it's been disaster capitalism has played out as it almost always does. And like you said, now there's also the all these added layers of like folks just being out of work, folks dying, you know. So I want to I want to transition a bit and, and thank you for the assessment because folks need to hear that. What what is sort of you know, and it's not to look to you all like, what's the solution? But where are you all just, you know, you were talking a little bit about y'all are brewing ideas. Where are y'all at thinking right now? Like what is gonna take priority? What is gonna take top urgency? How are y'all thinking you're gonna move through this and hope that others might might also mirror? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think that, I think mutual aid is important, but people practice it every day. I think people that are doing mutual aid need to say, are we really feeding people or are we really doing a gesture that's meant to be pedagogical, right? I think that once you kind of, okay, that's cool, whichever it is, it's good. People just shouldn't oversell the work. So that's one thing. Um, I think the artist is organizer right now. And I think the artist is organizer, but also you know, we have to think about, we can't be single issue. Like we can't be around identity. We can't organize around identity. Simultaneously, it's just like, we can't just have a class analysis that doesn't look at gender and sexuality and all these things, nor can we, we need to complicate things. But I also think that I don't wanna hear a conversation about violence and nonviolence. There's certain conversations that just people shouldn't have. If you're having it with other people, then you need to know are they your people or should you be with other people? Because it's all good, it's all matters, right? So I think rent strike is an important thing. I think what we're thinking about right now is probably how rent, what does rent strike on stolen land? What kind of responsibility does that produce? I think we need to really think about how do we take land back? How do we give it to indigenous folks? How do we, it's not about protesting anymore, but it is about mass insurrection. I think that's the only leverage we have right now. And I don't know what it's gonna take for people to do that math. And we just have to keep instigating. But I do, and, I, and I'll be honest, like, you know, on one level, it's just like, the police is stronger now than, we, than before FTP. You know, we're, we're, you know, Candor's got removed. But now you have all these museums. We need to take we need to take over the museums. Galleries need to open up their doors. Those are the spaces in which that's it. I think that's something that is really, really Brooklyn Museum needs to give up their whole first floor. Right? The whole thing. You know? That's 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 real. And I think that we have to start thinking at that level. And I think that people that are going to stand in our way are really against justice and they don't get a pass on it. And I and I that's not to pick on them. But you know, we can't go directly against the state. We'll all be in jail tomorrow, tonight. So we have to also think smart. Now I think art, art artists, aesthetics, if they have the right politics, if they're making, as you said, art for the people then it can communicate a lot of these complex ideas. So we have to find ways to take care of each other and we have to find ways that we gotta shed the fear. And so those are some of the guiding principles, but I think that May Day is important this year. And I think that rent strikes are happening. 
I think debt strikes are happening. People aren't talking about them that way. So it's just like, can art shift our thinking around debt? We don't owe the banks anything. We don't owe these people anything. They're actually stealing from us as we speak, right? So then in that process, how can we figure out, we need to push the crisis. People, you know, they keep making things worse for us. So then you start worshiping Como. Fuck Como. Fuck de Blasio. Who do you think is dying in jails and who's leaving them there? So, so one of the, it's counterintuitive, but I think that we need to highlight the contradictions right now and not fuck unity. It needs to pop off everywhere. Everyone that has an issue needs to fucking do it because they can't control. We're in New York. They can't control 8 million people. And we know we can actually like stay in the house when because we want to protect each other and the people we love. So what happens? So we we're able to do that. How can we think effectively how to create the crisis? Because the crisis is the only leverage we have on them. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, that's it's you know it's either we're gonna do what we must do, or we're going to continue to sink as almost is inevitable right and maybe the two happen um but i mean that's that's entirely right i mean i've been telling myself like i think there's so, always such a hesitancy and i don't know if it's like because we're in the empire and there's like this weird glorification of like the rich like in no other country or whatever it is but i'm like we really need to be more clear and explicit about who the fuck are our enemies and start calling them that like not just like oh they uh you know they kind of i'm like they're fucking enemies. Like they want us dead. And those are the stakes, you know, um, that I, I, I completely agree and I appreciate it. I think it's, again, it's always much easier to just be like, you know, we just gotta stick together and vote for Joe Biden maybe. And you know, it's like, nah, like that's not the thinking we need right now. You know, and I think to share some of your concerns, it's like, if folks are not willing to be bold now, I mean, you know, to be real, then when will they be? You know, like we talk, and it's, and I almost think it's like unique to to the U.S. and like the empire because you look at folks. I'm like, there are fucking people dying, children are starving, fam. In any other context, people are like, I'm gonna strap up, like I'm done, you know. Um, and something very unique about this place and this land is like, you know, I mean, folks are suffering like arguably they've never have, you know, so many folks have now entered from like precarious to like, you are just straight up in poverty, fam. You're facing very real insecurities with your basic essentials. And even folks that like might have had good jobs are just like, whoa, hold up. Now I'm living off unemployment. And it's like, wow, even with these elevated crises, the response hasn't been, hasn't mirrored that, ele that elevation and that height. Of, of crisis and of need and of urgency. And I think that's real. And I think we need to continue to remind people, like, I know it sucks, man, but if we ain't bold now, like if we ain't willing to strike now, we ain't never gonna strike. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like what you said around like people don't, like people don't know who their enemy is. But the thing is for you to be able to point and say, you over there are my enemy, you have to know where you yourself are standing. And a lot of people don't know where they're standing. They either just don't think about it, they hadn't have to think about it or whatever. But the thing is, you have to figure out where you're standing. 
And you have to figure out how far away are you standing from where you want to be, and then you have to train to be there. And that means working through a lot of shit, whether it's like, I mean, for a lot of Black, Indigenous, and Brown folks, it's trauma. Like, you want to you be organizing in a space with a bunch of other people who've been fucked over by colonialism, and you don't want to work through your shit, and you think that's just going to all be flowers and rainbows? Nah, that's not, capitalism has set it up so that we can't be in the same room together without getting into a fight. And you can't just run from that. You have to, you have to really start to dig deep and realize that you're in the shit. <laughs> and like how and there there's almost no getting out of it, but what are you gonna do in the meantime? You know what I mean? To really to really get things moving. Um, because so much of the time we focus on like what we need to do on a mass scale. But for that to happen, all these people who are running around being individuals who don't even know who they are, but somehow they're unique, they need to figure, you know, they need to figure, they need to figure all that out. They don't know who the enemy, they are the enemy, they are the enemy. They're, 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 you know what I'm saying? That's why people don't know who to point to. It's just like, oh, like you just want to point to Trump. It's like, boy, you mean that puppet? That fucking reality TV star. That's like me summoning Jerry Springer for all the heteropatriarchal woes in the world. You know what I'm saying? He's <laughs> he's just he's just a symptom. It's like, oh, it's Trump. It's like, no, it's your bitch ass accepting institutional funding to fuck over our kids. Well, you know, just on one one thought to to throw in there, I think that you know, it's not pessimism. It's just like an analysis that has a clarity that can allow for a refusal. And I think that the what we're what we're calling on people to do is to refuse. The idea that the the world can only be this way is bullshit. It requires everyone to believe it, though. That's what keeps this. Honestly, it's it's a sham. Keeps it going. And I think that if you can turn that and just like now, the refusal has a cost associated with it. But you don't need to know what you have to do as an alternative. The act of refusal in and of itself creates space for you to think and for things to happen. What they want us not to have is, is space. That means no time and no physical space. So, so we have to refuse and, and people have to refuse from the positionalities that they hold. This is why you know it's troubling to see people run towards what is it, what they're calling solidarity, but not interrogate the position that makes them an oppressor. Just because I'm Palestinian doesn't give me a pass. Just because you're black, you're trans, doesn't no one no one should be able to get a pass right now. Not because we don't love each other, but because that is not helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the moment calls for something much bigger and deeper than just. Yeah, the passes. Um, mean, Morris, I really want to thank you all for conversation. Um, I really hope that we'll just be in continued community and camaraderie. I'm really taking everything that y'all brought in today with full, like, full attention. And, you know, I'm really going to just take this seriously because it's, it is affirming to hear the, the sort of doubts and thoughts that sometimes you might have, but to know that it's like, yeah, this is kind of the shit that we're in. And either we are going to step to the plate and fight and actually fight and not just say we're doing that, or we we know what's 
what's the other alternative? And, you know, I really want to give y'all a shout out for using your own way in digital social media of like offering this sort of popular education of bringing it home for folks of just, you know, this idea of decolonization has become a buzzword for so many folks, but y'all are offering and encouraging, alluding to different ways of what that can potentially look like and what, you know, what solidarity means as a practice, as a conscious active role, rather than like a hashtag or like, you know, oh yeah, I'm in solidarity right now, you know? So lots of love and appreciation for you all. Um, you know, again, in Miami, we're gonna keep on being in, in y'all's appreciation with this because um, yeah, it ain't gonna stop and it's only gonna get worse. And it's really up to people like us to make meaning of this moment for folks. And the even the ones that are not seeking for meaning and, and don't wanna hear it, the ones that are like, don't tell me. Um, or otherwise, you know, we know that the other option is the default and we've no, we're very familiar with the default. So thank you all for the work that you do. Thank you for everything y'all offered on this conversation. Thanks for hopping on the call. Um, been trying to make this happen. I was like, oh, and I'm in New York, but you know, maybe it took the crisis. So I really appreciate y'all. Stay safe, take care. Yes. Yeah, thank you too. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for all the kind words. Thank you. <laughs>